with this lunchtime in Manhattan. Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Episode 178 is recorded live November 7th, 2013. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. From the daylight savings part of the state of Michigan, I am Darren Jolson, and joining me this week, we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm just great, thank you. God, this this daylight savings time has has really got me screwed up. I I kind of like this one because I feel like I'm getting a little bit more sleep, but when I get out of work and it's dark, that's no good. It just gets dark early, doesn't it? Just real dark. I don't know. I I seem less able to handle these changes. Maybe it's me not wanting to admit that we are approaching the holiday season and the shortest day of the year. Well, I always look forward to the shortest day of the year. How's that? That means, you know, once that comes, the days start getting longer and summer's on its way. Yeah, my my son pointed something out. They just had, uh, the kids had parent-teachers conferences here at school, and I think they're a third of the way through the school year. Okay. And it, that does not seem possible, but yet somehow it may be. A third of the way. Yeah. Hmm. So I, so I, I told him, I said, hey, that, if that's the case, it's almost summer. I'd like to thank everybody who showed up in the chat room today. We have Dave and Jared and Mike and Roger. And if you want to join and visit us in the chat room, you can go to Talk Show Air Show 73759. We record live on Thursdays at 9 p.m. You can also follow us on our website at www.scubaobsessed.com. And we are on Twitter at scubaobsessed. And we'll do a little bit more at the end of the show. But before we get to that, we're going to jump right on into the news. Kind of a light news week. I figured with DEMA going on, we'd have a lot more in the show. And for those who don't know, DEMA is a Dive Equipment Manufacturers Association. And it's a closed trade show that happens every year. And it just completed. I think uh, Rich from Divers Sink is on his way back home. It seems like he just goes down there and comes right back. It's not long at all. Well, the first one up is illegal aquaculture in Tonga has been linked to diving deaths. The head of the aquaculture research in Tonga is saying that Chinese businesses operating in Tonga are funding locals to harvest sea cucumbers illegally, especially in deep sea waters. They said the main problem of the practice is people are using hookah or scuba, which is banned from commercial fishing. He says as a result, the locals have died diving, but people are still ignoring warnings because they want to get paid. And this is a quote. They said the Chinese have money or whatever. That's the encouragement for the locals because the Chinese never die, only the locals going to do the activities for them. So it's really hard. Uh, they said that the uh, illegally harvesting cucumbers, cucumbers, sea cucumbers, they call them pickles. I uh, wonder, sea cucumbers, are they a delicacy? I, I think they're used in the, like a thickening agent in some soups. I think they use sea cucumbers. Hmm. Uh, can, they can face five years in jail, and the fines are about a thousand, uh, about 10000 U.S. dollars. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't really sound... It's used in shark fin soup. Oh, they said it's used in shark fin soup? I'm wondering if it's used in shark fin soup. I don't know. We could take a bunch of cucumbers and just throw them in the ocean. Yeah. yeah. Salty cucumbers turn into pickles. Yep. And they, and they said uh, 
cucumbers. I think that's a good case of marketing because they really look like slugs. So it's probably better for you know if you if you called them sea slugs, which are I think they are sea slugs too, aren't they? Okay, well no, next was, one, go ahead. I was going to say I was thinking of something else as a sea cucumber. It's more of a I think a plant than an animal is the one I was thinking of. Don't see too many of them in the Great Lakes anymore. So no, uh, this next one, and I'll make sure I paste this in the chat room. Uh, the arena divers have some serious injuries. If you remember, um, it's been about two years, I think, now that in New Zealand they had that container ship, the Rena, and they're still doing work on uh, cutting that off and taking it off the reef. And in the last few months, they've had two serious injuries. Two men, a 25-year-old New Zealander and a 31-year-old American, were both taken to a hospital for treatment following separate incidents on October 19th and 29th. They are part of divers working at deep sea levels to prepare for the removal of the wreck's accommodation block next month. It sounds like they're just uh, getting ready to cut it up with some big chain and ah. haul it away. So these guys are prepping to get the chain in so they can then use the chain as a like a bandsaw to cut it up. Okay, so they just they make the kind of trench. Mm-hmm. Get it in, get it started, and then use the chain as a cutting blade. Uh, okay, that makes sense. Let's see. One, well, one of them was he just was, wasn't feeling good, and he was down about 100, I think it was 150 feet. And then they had another one, the one that more recent. Oh, he was at here. It was the Kiwi diver reported to experience breathing problems while at approximately 110 feet or 34 meters. Having alerted his dive supervisor, problem, he was instructed to flush his helmet and return to the surface. Back on board the barge, he placed he was placed in a hyperbaric chamber. Second incident: uh, the American diver's umbilical cord snagged in two separate locations while he was ascending from 151 feet or 46 meters. He had to descend to clear both obstacles when he reached the barge and was recompressing while he began to show signs of oxygen toxicity while in the hyperbaric chamber. But the good news is that both of them came away okay. Oh, and then you're right. It gets on down. It says once cut the two sections weighing approximately 350 tons each will be lifted onto an RMG-1000. A second barge will be transported to the port while they'll be dismantled for scrap or possible recycling. Is that Mac? Maybe not. Okay. Well... Shame. Well, I guess they're taking it off. Probably have to take it off the reef for environmental purposes. Well, yeah. They, originally, we had talked to, when this first went down. We asked them to leave it, but uh, we had uh, Tara on, uh, who's from New Zealand, and and she said that they're just mm-hmm. too afraid of uh, everybody hurting themselves, so they're going to take it away. Because there was that discussion yeah. of leaving it as a wreck. Yeah. But it's done so much. Say, it seem, seems like a reasonable depth, but yeah. Because I guess there's like some caves right near there that they do a lot of uh, tech-type diving on. Mm. This next article was talking about uh, can sea life adapt? And what they're doing, or we'll we'll paraphrase what they're talking about in there, is they're researching sea urchins to see how quickly they're able to adapt, and and they're trying to understand how the changes in the ocean environment. And uh, some of the good news, they say that the sea cucumbers are better at adapting than they originally anticipated but they're concerned of how long that adaption can go and to what extent. They said this kind of change is not free. Evolution is not a gentle sport. When evolution happens, it becomes the unfit are dying, and it's pretty brutal. Well, the oceans have evolved over eons to where they are today. Unfortunately, we're probably impacting them more with pollution, overfishing, and other issues in recent years than probably much more than 100 years, even 50 years ago. So I think there's more awareness now. So hopefully we can minimize our impact and 
the oceans will continue to clean up and adapt. I know 25 years ago, the visibility around the New Jersey coast was terrible because of all the trash dumping that was happening up around North Jersey and New York. But when they stopped dumping, amazingly, even 50, 60, 70 miles south, the visibility cleaned up. Yeah, it it seems to be able to react fairly quickly to positive steps. Uh, you know, acidification is one of the things that they're also trying to study, and they're anticipating that that's getting worse. And I, I need somebody who's a chemistry expert to explain to me that how CO2 plays that effect. I wouldn't know. Carbon dioxide. Yeah, that's the first thing affecting the acidification. Now, I I can believe that uh, you know byproducts of you know burning some types of coals or other chemical processes. Yeah, acid uh, rain. Yeah, yeah, th- those sort of things, you know, pH changing. But uh, you know, just how CO2 on its own, I'm not sure how that reacts to, to contribute to acidification. And then jellyfish. We talked about cucumbers. Now now we're talking about jelly. Jellyfish float in the town. Uh, this one, let's see, where are they out of? Of course, I can't find it. I think it's, it's, I think it's Canada somewhere. Yeah, let's take a look at that. Yeah, they're saying uh, that in just the last few weeks they've seen Huge amounts of jellyfish streams of the white sea creatures have recently made their way to, to the Squamish shoreline. And this is Squamish River and the McQualm Blind Channel. They said photos of the schools have been hitting social media, popping up on Twitter and Facebook. They said the lives of the jellyfish are a mystery. A senior biologist in the Vancouver Aquarium says only the, oh, the past 30 years have they caught the attention of scientists. Without historical records, there's big holes in information regarding jellyfish. So it's definitely a lot of things that we don't know about the jellyfish. The plume of jellyfish is spotted around squamish, which could be result of the unusual dry fall. Usually it's a season of heavy rain, forcing jellyfish to venture deeper out into the sea. Uh, they said, before now, I would have said that it was a bad year for jellyfish. We had a horrible time trying to collect the ones we wanted. Uh, he says, now that the dry spells resulted in crystal clear waters, allowing the jellies to be easier viewed. He speculates that one reason for the bloom of jellies in the blind channels that they're feeding on raw sewage entering the system from liveaboard boats. Now, they're up in Canada. I, I would believe that they would have laws against liveaboards flushing out sewage, wouldn't they? You'd think about it. And then how many liveaboards do they have up there? Are they just crawling with liveaboards, pushing out sewage? Uh, uh, I mean, I yeah. So, but it seems to be the trend in the news. Uh, the last, it seems since uh, uh, really the uh, tsunami that hit Japan from then till now it just seems a constant theme of jellyfish. Something to keep an eye out for. I don't like jellyfish. I've never really seen them. I wanted to see some freshwater jellies. We were hoping we'd get a shot of them this year. And then if jellies aren't bad enough, we've got lionfish. This is kind of an alternate view. And I, I can't quite get what he's saying, this particular author, or, or actually she, Catherine uh, Taubert. And she's saying that killing the lionfish isn't the solution. She goes in some depth explaining how the lionfish are introduced she quotes uh, no research that says lionfish reach sexual maturity within two years and produce about 30,000 eggs every three to four days. And they're assuming it's probably year-round. Uh, they've been found as deep as 800 feet in the water. They live anywhere with a surface against which they can trap pe- prey. They have poisonous spines which cause severe allergic reactions and eat just about anything they can put in their mouths. So some stats they say is coral reefs make up about 1% of the world's surface. But their commercial value to U.S. fisheries is over $100 million. Local economies get billions of dollars from visitors through scuba tours, fishing trips, and other business-based near-reef ecosystems. Or ecosystems. 
More than 4 million tourists contributed $1.2 billion annually to the 90s to the tourism in the Florida Keys alone, the number one dive destination in the world. So she goes on and says that she thinks that's the motivation behind uh, trying to control them. She says, I saw evidence on dive trips where spearing lionfish is routine. Sharks followed divers. On one occasion, sharks repeatedly approached several divers and what resembled as a precursor to a feeding, be- feeding behavior. Another bumped the novice diver as her back was turned to the dive master who was feeding the lionfish to sharks. Less confident diver might have shot the surface out of fear and uncontrolled, potentially deadly ascent. So she's saying that don't feed the sharks. She says they, after 450 million years of evolution, they, they don't need to be taught how to eat anything. They'll figure <laughs> it out on their own. They said lionfish numbers estimated at 1,000 per acre, spawning 2 million eggs per year or so per female. So it's pretty much you're not going to change it. Uh, the the harvesting effects able to help locally in some areas, but on a greater scale, it's not doing much of anything. And then here's they they said encouraging human consumption of lionfish isn't a good idea either. The Food and Drug Administration now refra- now frowns on eating lionfish campaign after tests of nearly 200 lionfish show that a quarter exceeded federal levels of toxin that can cause a potentially dangerous food poisoning. That affects 50,000 people a year. Potentially dangerous food poisoning toxins, it, but they don't say what. Well, they, uh, it causes C-I-G-A-U-T-E-R, it was Sigordia, uh, Allison Robertson, who's the FDA's lead researcher on the subject, says it certainly wouldn't be our recommendation to eat them at this time. Well... They told you not to eat Great Lakes fish for a long time, too. Well, they did. And there's only a few of us with three arms. Yeah, but that's because you, well, I was going to say you work at the nuclear plant, but <laughs> you don't work at the nuclear plant. You just live near a nuclear plant. Yeah, just a couple of them. I didn't grow my third arm until I started working around microwave ovens. <laughs> at least this way I don't need a dive light. Ah, Hello, there's Mac. Mac. Hey. Hi, Ben here. Ah, how you doing? Well, so far so good. Just listening to the great podcast. Sitting in the shadows, lurking, have you? Well, yeah, sometimes you learn stuff. Yeah, he, he's he's waiting for that uh, that last story that's coming up. I'm not sure, but I was you know, looking at that article you were talking about, and you were saying you couldn't get her point. Uh-huh. Uh, her point was let nature take its course. She says whatever we're doing really is not going to work, and it's going to have to be biologic. It's going to either have to adapt, or it's just like the zebras and the quaggas. They overfed themselves, and now they became self-limiting because now they're at a sustainable level. She feels that the lionfish will do the same thing. Well, and I think you just can't kill enough, and you can't eat enough. No, you you can't kill enough. You can't eat enough. We don't have enough people. We could put if if you put everybody in the East Coast in the water and harvested all the lionfish. Yeah, everybody went diving three times a week. You still wouldn't affect the population significantly. Not like a predator would. If a predator decided that they were tasty and the predator numbers increase, that would create a balance. Well, if they were feeding them to the sharks... Well, that's what they were... They were Some dive operators have been trying to do is, is feed the sharks, hoping that, they, yeah, hoping that they get a taste for them. But mm. what she's saying, and I've heard others say it too, we talked about that article a couple of weeks ago, is that all you're doing is getting the sharks to associate divers with feeding, and it's yeah. not always the, a great idea. Yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah, that's my theory. Is don't don't look like food or be associated with food when it comes to sharks. And speaking of sharks, we have extinct megamouth species identified. The scientists have finally identified a new species of megamouth shark 
that probed the ocean, ocean a mere 23 million years ago. Nearly 50 years after the first teeth were discovered and then forgotten, the ancient shark-like prowled both deep and shallow waters for plankton and fish using massive mouth to filter food. It is a species that is known to be a new species for a long time, but no one had taken it seriously to look at it. This is according to uh, the study's co-author, Kanisha Shimida, a paleobiologist at DePaul University in Chicago. See, there we go again. It's, the, uh, it's those Midwest universities that get all the good ocean research. Scientists found the teeth in the species in the 1960s, but at the time there were no living creatures, so scientists didn't know what to make of it of the find. Over time, researchers uh, turned up hundreds of similar teeth along the coast of California and Oregon. All the specimens were tossed in a drawer and forgotten a collection of Los Angeles County Museum. In 1976, scientists discovered a modern megalomouth shark dubbed Megachasm uh, Pelagios. <laughs> Easy for you to say. Exactly, which feeds exclusively on shrimp-like creatures called plankton. The sharks use their mammoth mouths to engulf the plankton filled with water, forcing the water through the gills. Uh, the monster's beast is also beast is also a vertical mitigator, meaning the shark lurks in the deep ocean during the day, but come up at the shallow surface chasing plankton swarms at night. See, I was hoping it was some of the teeth we find, but I'm, I'm guessing probably not. And this next one is a press release. don't normally cover a lot of the press releases, but uh, try to read into it, see what little details or nuggets we have. So in the week of DEMA, we've got Scuba Pro announcing that they've hired a new marketing firm. And the marketing firm is going to take over responsibility for all all the marketing of their Scuba Pro product. Scuba Pro is owned by Johnson's Outdoors. Uh, and the, the company is uh, going to take over direct mail. And they've also got another line, which I wasn't I wasn't aware of this line of gear, so maybe it's not carried around carried around here, but sub gear. And they said that's uh Johnson's Outdoors line of, uh, I'm trying to think of what they call it, lifestyle diving gear, gear for kids, specialized products for female divers. So it's kind of their niche marketing brand, and they're going to completely rebrand that. So wonder what they're going to end up doing with that. So some, some stuff coming out. Let's see some. Okay, and I keep hearing somebody sending me something, and I can't find it. Oh, I just sent you two items on the new Megalodon. Uh-huh. They believe they actually saw one that uh, sank, actually bit a, a boat in half, six to seven footer. It's, uh, I've actually seen the, uh, the shoes on it, and I'm shown what they can't figure out what it is by an undersea camera at a very large depth. And you could see it come by, and then you see brown, then you see another fin, and then later it keeps coming by, and you see another one. And they estimated it was in excess of 70 feet long. And that's bringing up the question is, is there really megalodons alive as opposed to being extinct? I I saw the, the show, one of the Discovery Channels had that on, and it was very compelling, uh, the evidence they had. That boat, you know, we're not talking about the small fishing vessel. We're talking about something that was large. And they had, it was it was eerie because they had video of it. And yeah, during the attack. During the attack. Right. And, and everybody died. And nobody survived. And then was it yeah, was that, that the same one where they had the uh, the lady was on shore way up in the mountain? Yes, the coast and, watcher watching for for sharks saw that and couldn't quite believe what she was seeing, so she sort of didn't believe it. And then that's the one that they found the whale that was sort of like bitten in two. Yeah, yeah. And I sent and, to the two links that I'd seen on that one that are current. 
Yeah, and they had traced it, and they said that the all the sightings or events that happened that were related to that shark, you know, either being viewed or attacked, or or like the in the case of the the whale that had been uh, bitten half. Yeah, uh, were all within the area of the gray uh, whales, the gray whales, humpback whales migration path. So it was they were within the area of the humpback whales at that type of the season when they were found. And how about the one where they had the German U-boat? Yes. And it was in the background. That was an excellent shot. I mean, how can you refugiate that? Yeah. World War II, and you're looking at that, son of a bitch, that thing's big as my boat. (laughs) The only way would be if somebody double exposed something. But it certainly did not look like a double exposure. No, it did not. And and then, and if if you did double exposure, you'd make a big deal about it, trying to get some hype. And that just sat for years. You know, everybody just looked at it and went, "Oh, there's a shark back there." But that yeah, it was that was monstrous. So, I've always believed that there's stuff larger because you see that you see that both in animals that are larger and smaller. And who's to say that if you don't keep feeding some of the stuff, they don't keep getting bigger? Well, how many species did we think that have been extinct have suddenly been found in the last 10 years? Yeah, I think there was one I was reading about today that they, they found one that they had thought had been extinct for like 15 million years. And, oh, here, here's one over here swimming around. Yeah, or what they find in those trawling nets from way, way down. Yeah. I'm just lucky that those uh, those sharks are so big that I wouldn't even be an appetizer. <laughs> Well, if there was me in the water and you in the water, they'd go after you first. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, slower swimmer. Because <laughs> I'd hurt your leg and swim like hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's Having the way it's going. Up, you could stir up a sea of silt and he'd get lost in it. He'd think it was a squid or something that squirted ink all over the place. I'd so do got, my best to get out of his way. He's got like superpowers, <laughs> form of a, a grubbing ball. And High Plains Scuba is to host an underwater poker tournament for veterans. The High Plains Scuba will host its annual, its eighth annual Veterans Day fundraiser, November eighth and ninth. The annual underwater poker tournament and silent auction will benefit veterans helping veterans now. The public is welcome to join the fun. Poker space is limited. You do not need to be a certified diver to participate, which I thought was kind of cool. And then the silent auctions are having dozens of antique items donated by local businesses, including Denver Nugget and Avalanche Apparel, tickets and souvenirs. Have you heard of that, doing an underwater event where you don't have to be certified like that? So they must be doing it as like a uh, discover diving. Well, you've had those where you can tour the bottom wearing the helmets and the uh, small umbilicals. Yep. So remember we talked about that, some of the, um, in the Far East where they're having these tours. So you walk on the bottom with the helmet and stuff, and they're not basically trained other than clear your nose yeah. or put a nose plug on. So no, I can see this. Or like you said, discover scuba. Yeah, well, they do discover scuba, and you've got that extra angle because some shops used to do discover scuba for free, but the hassle of moving gear around was so much that they, they stopped doing it. They start charging $25. Well, here's a way you could essentially do it for free, but then you have the, whatever money you're charging for the tournament cover that. And then you get people who just want to take diving and get it off their bucket list so you can get two birds with one stone there. A lot of the reasons a lot of the free stuff went by the wayside when they're renting pool space is if you don't have a good protection on your tanks and you ding the bottom of their swimming uh, pool or their covering and you do some damage, you're liable for it, and sometimes that could get expensive. Yeah, you have to replace it's, those tiles. Uh, yeah, I can see part of that, you know, being a nice guy is one thing. I'm not sure how your insurance company likes it. 
Yeah, pr- they probably don't. I know that some. I think I was going to say one advantage of playing underwater poker, though, it, it would be a very hard to uh, read a tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got that mask on. A little bit, a little bit different, difficult to bluff. Yeah, and you have that in your mouth. You know, it's like, well, what are you going to use as a as an indicator other than his big eyes? Sorry, I had to move away from the mic for a second. Uh, and then here we go. We have the uh, kind of our, our our final article for the evening. The pictures are great. Waiting for this one. The pictures are great. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, Dave. Yeah, this, about this one you definitely need to post pictures. Yeah, post pictures. So. Manhattan dominatrix with an MBA reveals the secret of her dungeon where she gives office workers a lunchtime spanking in Midtown. Did you did you bring in the scuba connection to this, by the way? Well, there there is a scuba connection. Yeah, the rubber and, and the uh, other gear or black leather. You could you could use that to dive in, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I mean, just think of all different types of angles she goes. So it's a it's a Mrs. Ms. Renee Trevi, a 27 year old Russian immigrant working as a dominatrix in Manhattan. She says this wasn't always her calling, but revealed it's certainly more exciting line of work than when she lifted the lid in her career in the kink scene in one particular public session she began at a restaurant in Manhattan. She said Renee, which amazingly enough is not a real name. She made a move to America when she was 18 and eventually got her MBA, but ditched a $15 hour, dollar an hour job in finance to make $300 an hour whipping men. I was getting depressed quickly because... Of hours in the office, tedious jobs with numbers, I knew that I had a good chance to have a good career, and I just wanted to work hard for that. She thought it was just a waste of her life to sit in an office just two weeks of vacation a year. I love to travel the world for a month at a time, many months, every year. I just hope to change something about it. My dream is actually to have my own business. That's why I got an MBA. And then she goes into talking about how, like, like here's a quote, Why don't you do that? My wife is a mistress, and, and that's what she does. <laughs> Definitely a little bit different circles than I I move around in. I, I, it's been known that you do have a rubber fetish, though. I just can't give up my uh, <laughs> my wetsuit. You know, I just I, I feel lost without it. Let's see, there's yeah, the, the photos aren't too bad in there. No, they're worth a tour in itself. Yeah, absolutely worth a tour by itself. Yeah, and there, there was something that it, it came up in my search. I'm trying to find the part on scuba diving. It's down there. It's, she, she is, is a scuba a, diver and a skydiver. She's a skydiver. See, that's jumper. a roulette. See, I think that's where the kink came from. Well, she's got two naked skydives. There are no pictures. I have How many naked skydives have you done, Max? <laughs> What's that, Max? I have, we have pictures. How many naked skydives do you have? Let me rephrase the, the, the uh, statement there. I have been on dives in which people were naked, not necessarily myself. And it's always better when you're not and you have the camera. Yes. So, so you, you look official because you're just videotaping. Right. Uh, you can be incognito. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's probably easier to be incognito with clothes on, actually. Uh, yes, that's what I'm saying. I got my clothes on. Yeah. There's a little bit of voyeurism in everybody, I think. Some more than others. Probably true. So, see, this, so, so scuba diving is just a stepping stone to being a dominatrix. <laughs> I do like fishnet, though. Yeah, yeah, fishnet that's water-related. <laughs> Dave, <laughs> he said with Darren's wetsuit, he may as well be diving naked. <laughs> <laughs> Give it enough time, <laughs> and, <laughs> and it will be there. It's like diving with a screen door around you. I don't know how you stood that last week, let me tell you. 
It wasn't bad at all. I, in fact, I, I was probably one of those. You were, you were comfortable when you got out, not shivering or anything. Yeah, you you're hovered in the car. And I, I think we got in at the same time. My freaking feet were froze, but other than that, I was good. Yeah, you 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 had the 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 better gear and everything, and of course I did have the the swim of shame to go and retrieve my dive flag. So, <laughs> yeah, you got your adrenaline and your blood flowing really really good. Yeah, yeah that was one of those where because I I did quite a bit of the swim on the surface to get down because I didn't want to suck the air down and man I was it's because like when I got down there and I I got the flag and I was going down I was hoping my breath had caught enough. Nothing like over-breathing underwater, but it was fine. Okay, let's see. We've got uh, that. So that does it for the news portion. we got some potentially cool scuba gear. How about this camera? 360-degree camera. And when they say 360, you normally think just you know, kind of like on one plane, horizontal, all the way around. But this is like a true 360. When you look at it, it looks like one, two, three, four, five, six GoPro cameras all strapped together. It is called the 360 Hero, or oh, 360 Hero is the company. It's the epic underwater 360-degree interactive virtual video dive camera. This is a press release, which I wouldn't normally cover, but this is pretty darn cool. It's a geek in me who loves this. It says the footage can be scaled for HD online delivery or displayed at resolution over 5K, 5,500 pixels by 2,750 pixels. So what they must be doing is combining all those cameras together, and then through software able to give you a 360 interactive view. Hmm. And I didn't get a chance to go through the video, because they show they have a, a YouTube video showing how it works, and I think they also have a, like a website you can go to and, and interact with it. What and are you going to have to play it on? Well, you said, what are we going to play it on? Yeah. Well, I, I think... You see a 360... Well, what you do is you would put it into a uh, like a browser screen, and then you just have pan and zoom features where you're able to move around it. Well, if it was a video as opposed to a single picture? Yeah, I think that's what it is. I think it's going to be vi- it's video footage. How can you hold the camera and not be in some of the photos? I think, you're, I think you are going to be in the photos. So probably they put it on a yeah. pole. They put it on a pole for some of these. Yeah. Cause, like, have you seen those GoPro? One of those companies contacted me and said, Hey, you should talk about our our special poll panel. And I said, well, why don't you send me one? And then, of course, they never said anything more. But you see that where they've got the camera on a pole, and then it can come back and get your own selfies, which I, I really don't necessarily understand the idea behind selfies. Okay, I was watching part of the video on that, and it's a little disconcerting with that trucks coming around you and stuff coming and going at the same time. Oh, yeah, because now that I look at the photo on the bottom, you can see. It's kind of like on a monopod stuck out of the ground, and everything is swimming around it. So, I mean, it's potential. I think it could be interesting for uh, dive resorts or stuff where that would play in. I could see putting that on an ROV. Oh, yeah. In fact, they, they do even say that. I mean, I mean, that way you can see left, right, straight ahead, behind you, top side. And it can also, if it was live time, for live feed, uh, look for obstructions when you take your ROV into an enclosure. Well, I actually modified a little bit so that the cameras were all on opposite sides of the ROV, and it would be like the camera was just floating. Yeah. Seems like you could do that with some lenses and, and things. And I'm afraid to find out how much one of these babies costs, though. I bet you the cameras are not the cost. The cost has got to be the housing, enclosures, and the way they connect them together to maintain the same angularity. Okay, 360 Hero Scuba Video Gear uses 360 Hero's patented pending 
snap-on domes with interchangeable filters. The 360 H6 holder, which holds together, can go to depth of 200 feet. The system works with GoPro Black Hero 3 cameras or with the newly released GoPro Hero 3 Plus camera. So that's what they're doing. Is It's, it's, it's really a, a housing and software system for GoPros. So you have to be able to buy six GoPros and then buy their software. And then the program that will handle trying to manipulate all mm-hmm. of that together. Yeah. Unless you did it one at a time and then stitch them together. Well, that's true. Because if not, can stitch them, even with a single camera. You know, do a rotating at yeah. so many angles, and it stitches seamless. You could do that. Yeah. That's got a trip when you're on, you know, doing a video as opposed to still. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's software out there. So what they've probably done is license some of the other software and put it together. I think you should get one. Yeah, so do before I. You, before you get a dry suit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we take it down for you and, and, try, and you know, use it, and you could do the... Um, processing when you got it back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, thank you very much. <laughs> okay, I think we've 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 killed that enough. And let's see. That, yeah, that that does it for scuba in the news. Now, did anybody get any diving in? I didn't get anything this last week. I I was going to, and I just had too much stuff at home. Uh, but it looked like you you got a chance to go out Sunday, didn't you, Mac? Yeah, yeah. I forced myself to get out there. I, didn't have any buddies or anything like that. They all abandoned me to my own devices. Uh, but Mirabeth and Jake showed up uh, towards the end, so I had shore sport there at the bottom end of it. Um, I did post a picture, and you can see the water level up is the water level is up in the river. Uh, you, you know where the dock is. The end of it had been underwater for a little bit of time. Now, is that just from the little bit of rain we had that brought that water level up that much? We had five inches at my house in the 36-hour period of time. Oh, wow. Oh my yeah. goodness! And more than a more than a little bit of rain, and South Bend and the area yes, south did. of us that feeds the river had quite a bit of rain also. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the, right, the yeah, shot, yeah. Mac, and hey, you're not a kidding. That is a lot no, now. <laughs> and and you'll notice sitting on the dock is a yellow device. Okay, it's it my it's coming up. It's zooming in. It's coming. I can watch the pixels coming one at a time. Oh. <laughs> There's two pixels, three pixels. Dive flag. Oh yeah, you had the creeper. Yes, sir, Rebob. Yeah, for I those who don't, the current, I'd use the creeper out there. Yeah. Now, for those who don't know what the creeper is, it's uh, some pipe sections put together and filled with lead. How much does that weigh? That one's a light one. I got, um, actually, Jake and I are making a couple uh, so we can try a little faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one's not too heavy. That's maybe only 10 pounds, and what really helps is the, I got nails through the caps on the bottom. And the center piece that comes out and goes down at a 45-degree angle has a nail in it. So when you stick it in the bottom, it, it's going to be hard to drag, but it's really easy to move. And this way I just put my tagline to it with a known line so it was out of my way, clipped my goodie bag to it out of the way, and then I just had a 10-foot line that went from the center eyelet to me so then I can emplace it. Then I can do a 10-foot sweep and always come back to my place. So it worked out really good. It's one of the little tools of the trade. Where is this picture at? Oh, that's on the dock. There that's Marmot the, Street. Yeah. Yeah, I see the dock. I just take a look at the float, and behind the float, or in front of the floats, the small creeper. That's the baby one. Okay, I'm gonna blow the picture up. Yeah, because normally you can walk right from the ground onto the dock and not get wet. And there's... Yes. But the the boaters weren't real excited about this condition. Oh man, let me tell you, the guys trying to put their pontoon boats in because of that extra shallowness, we're <laughs> not having a good time. Yeah, you about lose your car in that. Uh, I saw two guys out there this week. One ran over me, 
you know the kind of boats they have down there in the, in the overseas in Thailand where you got the long pole that comes out on a blade? Yeah. Uh, he has one of those. Got my attention big time. Huh. And uh, the, on his second pass down after I was already out, he waved. I waved. Of course, I did wave with not all of my fingers because uh, I would have liked to talk to him. Mm-hmm. But he was he was ripping down the middle, and how close he was to me, I really don't know. But it sounded really, really close. You're probably getting a lot of cavitation off a blade like that. Yeah, I bet he did. But our duck people were out there again, the ones who were out there in the camouflage boats looking for mm-hmm. flying birds. And so we're trying to put the pontoon boats away, dragging bottom. It was sort of funny to watch them drag it out, and then the engine hits and drags. Then they stop, of course, and realize they're doing something bad. Uh, the current really wasn't too bad. Uh, the creeper was fine. Two foot of uh, leaves on the slope already. Oh, my goodness. Really? Yeah. Uh, so what I did, actually, is because we're flooded more than we normally are, I could get up. Uh, you know where the car is? Yeah. And, you know, at the top to the left where a lot of debris is, I went there 10 feet over and up two feet where it was and would be shallower and started playing there and did pretty decent. Yeah, you're you're getting in some of my spots there. There was a few times I've gone there and I know my tank has been out of the water and I've been finding bottles like you can't believe. Yes. And with this extra water level up there, it softens that that we normally can't get into. Mm -hmm. So once you get that first bevy of leaves out of your way, then you can get in there and fan. And uh, again, I got some nice milks. Uh, There were some uh, decent old timey pop bottles and a couple of medicine, which I really liked. Yeah. Embossed. Nice. Now those in the treasure page? Uh, A couple of them are, yeah. You have to take a look at treasures. So cold I know Mary Beth said her leg is better. Uh, I wasn't as cold as last week because I tried different techniques with my booties, kept the top from opening up. Uh, so I was down an hour and ten, and I was fine the whole time. Nice. Yeah, that crush bottle. And lots nice. of fish. Lots of fish. Yeah, it's a nice orange crush bottle. I've yes, got a broken is, one that doesn't have the. Yeah, I've got a broken one that doesn't have the uh, silk screen on it, but they are nice bottles. Yeah, and that Coca-Cola bottle doesn't look too bad either. No, they all turned out pretty good. They, it's uh, to get cold enough now that you that really want to bottle? make sure you empty the water out. Yeah, yeah. That was that an interesting ketchup, ketchup bottle. Next to the crush? Yeah, but you take a look at the yeah, top. It's not like ketchup. the normal ketchup bottle. No, it was different. Yeah, that's why I kept that one. Mm-hmm. And then you had some of the sinkers. Yeah, it, it's amazing how much lead is out there. I I know. I'm with you. There's It's, it's almost and like I, they coated I, the entire bottom with lead. Yeah, I'm not too much afraid of fish eating the lead because they're not. And that was a big concern they had, saying, well, all the animals are going to eat the lead and pass it on to the people. You ain't going to eat a one-ounce lead sinker. No. They just don't do it. Now, were any of these, because didn't you say there were some necklaces? Some what? That some of the lead wasn't really lead. It was more decorations or necklaces. Oh, that was a different type. I was telling you about that uh, archaeological um, dig thing I went to a couple of weeks ago, and they were showing pictorials of some of the artifacts they had located. And I'm looking at that saying, uh, duh, I've seen some of those, and I thought they were just pieces of uh, junk lead. And they weren't. They're folded over lead that almost looks like a little bell, but they're they're really small. And what they said is they're decorations for what the Indians used to wear on their moccasins and their breastplate, their ornaments. And it's like, I wonder how many of those I've thrown away thinking that was junk. Because it's, it's not unusual, like on some old boats and stuff, you'll find a roll of lead. And what they used to use that for, it was soft, and they weren't using high-pressure steams on some of their pipes. They could put the, if they had a leak, they could put the, you know, wrap that in lead, hammer it in, put a band over it, and they could get by. 
So I found some of that on ships before and actually pieces, you know, flat pieces of thin lead that they could do the same thing with. Mm -hmm. So finding these smaller pieces, I thought it was fishing tackle. I look at what I'd found versus those pictures, and now I realize, duh, that was artifacts from a long time ago for, again, Indian ornaments on some of their uh, moccasins and leather gear. Which makes me think that if it's that, then what else Indian is around us? And that's where I found that, like the Indian stone, the mortar and pedestal stuff. Mm-hmm. So next time we see that, I'll, I'll slow down and pay more attention to the other stuff. It was good diving. And like I said, Mary Beth will be out there this weekend, she said, which means hopefully Jake will be out of sure support. I think Jim said he's going to try to get out there. Yep, I so, think Mike wants to go also. Yeah, my, my, my tanks are full and ready to go if I don't have an, a family obligation. Yeah. Uh, I had a, I saw something on our club site or even Facebook site. Somebody else said he wanted to be there, but I said, you know, we'd be there at 12, show up and you can dive. Mm-hmm. So maybe a short dive, don't know. Don't know what yeah. the visibility is this week because we had a lot of rain yesterday. Now, how was the visibility last week? As good as it has been once you get away from uh, up by the, the embankment where you had more uh, junk, loose stuff. Uh, when the sun came out, I had no problem seeing three, four feet. And for fanning, that's all you need. And the current was fast enough that I could fan and be gone quicker, too. That was always nice. Mm, cool. So hope to see you there Saturday. Yeah. Now, now something, some good news is I've, I've got my uh, computer cable for my dive computer. I have found and lost that cable probably a dozen times. So dive computer. I've heard of those things. I don't... Yeah. Those those <laughs> mystical, magical items. Yeah, but since they don't turn on unless you're at least 10 feet down, oh, I'm not man. sure what they're going to do for me. <laughs> I'm afraid to pull my last dive on there. It probably shows about 40 dives. Now, Jim, did you get out and do any diving this last week? or No, I didn't. Uh, it's been two or three weeks since, uh, probably about three weeks since I've been wet, so I'm hoping to get in on Saturday. Yeah, it's that time. Yeah, I've I've missed it. I've missed it. It's been well. I've been working on getting the boat put away, and then had some other projects I was trying to take care of around the house before the the snow started to fall, which could happen so, tonight. Yeah. So I've gotten those caught up, and I think I can afford to spend a day diving Saturday. Cool. Yeah, so I, is, figured, I figured next week uh, what we'll probably do. Our, I'll probably do is hit the basin, whirlpool basin. Yeah. Because that's where I found that clay pipe. I thought I'd look around there because it's nice and flat, shallow. I hadn't been there for a while, and that'll get us ready for the turkey dive. Is that where the turkey so, dive is going to be? Uh, it really depends on what the weather is. You know, I, I'd rather uh, the uninitiated. I don't want to really take them to some place they haven't been. I mean, most of our guys have dove there in the river where we're talking. They know yeah. you got the rebar and the channel iron, and you got all the rocks and the cracks and crevices. I wouldn't really want to take a newbie there with. Very, 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 very low vis. Yeah, but that's with that dug out. That ought to be pretty swift. We could find some new things. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, Jim, I wonder if they took your weight belt out. I don't know. I just thought of that. They could have grabbed that in that area. But by the same token, if we of course, hit that I think spot, they were they were digging a little further away from the channel. They well, were digging could, digging further saying. away from the the edge. I mean. True. I don't know where you lost it, but I just yeah. think, though, where the turn base, not the turn, but where the turn bridge used to be, if we can refine that, that's where we had found those other lanterns, the oil-fired lanterns. Yeah. They could have uncovered some of that. Now, that yeah, was a turn bridge there, too? 
Oh yeah, that had the that used to have a railroad bridge. You know where the bank is? Yeah. Where we sometimes go in right in that area where the power lines used to be a railroad bridge that would turn. And years passed, and we've got a couple of pictures, some of the lanterns, like we found under the bridge at the railroad stuff. Uh-huh. Similar to that, but more square that used to be on the bridge of the different lights for port and starboard. Okay. And Larry's got one, still had the burners and everything in it, and intact lenses. Nice. That would be cool to find one of those out there. Yeah, it would. Time. Now, is that the where the rail line would have gone? Because I, I know in some of the old river, I don't know, call them charts, they had the uh, loading docks. So is that where the trains would have gone to lo- to line up the loading docks? Not on the swing bridge, because that was mostly, let's get across. But, well, Jim, you know where the new subway is across from Whirlpool? Yeah. Where we, we go in. The, the channel back there, the Morrison Channel, you know where the Pawpaw River flows into it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that section where it goes in, there used to be a railroad bridge across that for what you're talking about. Yeah. That was the one that would come on the spur and be there available for lumber and unloading and transport. Okay, yeah. And that bridge is, of course, but that was not a turn bridge. That was a straight bridge. Okay. Well, then they also have that construction that they've got there. So have they done anything out in the water yet? No, well, that's... Oh, uh, well, they they dug the channel, dug the marina. Okay. But there shouldn't be anything there. But the last boat came in there, got snagged, uh, which was a couple of weeks ago. Matter of fact, whenever Jim and I were diving on the 11th, uh, the big boat came in, unloaded. As it tried to turn, the snout got caught opposite side of the the, uh, the bay because it's that freaking big. They had to really wiggle around a lot, and they had a lot of prop wash. Well, when they rotated and went out, Historically, whenever that they they do that number, it really turns the bottom up on one side, and it makes all the debris flow on the opposite side. Never mind me diving the channel next week. I'm going to dive there next week. Duh. Yeah. That ought to be fresh pickings. Do you know where I'm talking about now? Yeah, I think I got an idea. Now, that might be a really interesting place to dive now. Is that where we had the bottle that one time? No, that was that's around towards the Whirlpool Basin where you're thinking with the bottle and stuff. Okay. Either place would be good. For newbies who haven't dove the, the nasty part, the turning basin's excellent. Mm-hmm. And the other one, just be prepared for snag hazards. Yeah, that, that's the only thing. Snag hazards in that seawall there is like razor blades. Yeah. yeah. That, Mac, did, had you been on when I uh, took that train ride to Chicago? You mean you were talking about that today? No, I, I, uh, when I, the, one of the times I went to Missouri, I went in the train. Okay, I remember you talking about that. Yeah. And the guy I, I happened to ride in the train with was a commercial diver. Okay. And he and I were just were talking about everything. And he, you know, he does all the really nasty stuff. And uh, he was he actually had to go to a federal court case for a uh, barge that had blown up, and it was uh well they they called it a waste oil barge or something. Yeah. Where I guess the very last little bits of oil, like if you if you take a look at a barrel of like raw oil and you cook it down, there's different stuff and like the last. You know, five or ten percent is just nothing but like tar sludge. sludge. It's mm-hmm. Sludge. Yep. He he said that's what that barge was, and the barge had a uh, and they what they did is they they sent it over to China and Asia, and they use it. And that barge had a boiler that's only purpose was to keep the sludge at like a hundred and ten degrees, so that it didn't turn into a brick. <laughs> and they never did figure out, but something had happened where it blew the barge up, and that boiler that was used to uh, keep the sludge warm, was still operating 60 feet in the air. They said you can see it on the video. Wow. 
Yeah. So that was a court case, but just he, he was interesting. Hoping to get him on the show. I gave him the my business card. He hasn't contacted me yet, but I mean, just some of the commercial diving stories he had. Young guy or older guy? Uh, I'd say about my age. And he's been Young diving guy. for you know since he was in his mid thirties. He'd actually worked where I work at one point in time. He and I probably passed and didn't even realize it. But uh, yeah, he's he's out of New Buffalo now, uh, working for a commercial dive company. There's a lot around uh, Gary and U.S. Steel and stuff like that. Ba- basically, wherever they need a commercial diver. But, yeah, he and I were talking about the seawalls and how bad they are, and he had all sorts of stories and things. He, he'd be a good one to, to, to get some stuff. And he, he actually wanted to come diving with us. He said it sounded cool, which I think is unusual for some of the commercial divers. Yeah, because most of them say, I get tired of it. I'm in the water all the time, and I don't. when I'm out of the water, I don't want to go back in and scuba playing around. Mm-hmm. Was one they keep the face dry, which is always nice. Yeah. But again, work is different than play. Okay. Let's see. Pressure dominant matrix. <laughs> that that is work and play. Could be. Yep. Let's see. Anybody got anything to plug? Oh, let me see here. What is that about that? No, we don't have a club meeting till the nineteenth, so that's pretty good. No newsletter until at least next week. Other than diving Saturday. Yep, so we'll get some diving in. And, of course, the turkey diet is coming up on the 30th. Yep, 30th. So you basically have three weekends to get wet, get your gear ready for turkey dive. Yep, and then from there, for many people, unless you're going to be hardcore divers like us, your next opportunity is New Year's Eve. Well, actually, Sass is out there diving on Thursdays right now. Let's pick up. They're going to give Sass a call and say, where are you at today? So they're they're doing Thursday dives even now? Yeah, it's, it's not Sass per se, but it's Sass divers. Uh, Richard has been out there tagging along on those. That's good. I, I'm sort of getting homebodied. I'd rather just go down, you know, half hour, 45-minute drive, do my dive, and come home. And Yeah, I, I'm with you with that. Two and a half hours one way. Yeah, I might do once a month some big trek, but uh, you know, drive all that way in the middle of the week. No, we have a hard freeze, Lake 16. Let's get out there. That's oh, a yeah. great well, place. Well, we're going to do, if we get ice, we'll hit Lake 16 at least twice. Just Break like out the chainsaw. One, yeah. and right. Whether or not it's going to be a, a lineless dive or not will depend on visibility and who we got. Exactly. But uh, even with a lineless, everybody, you know, take your extra rigs and your ponies and stage bottles on the platform. Yep. And obviously, I have to be really close watch on the newbies. Yep. And that's, that's one of those dives that even the dry suit divers bring some hot water. If you're going to stand on that ice, you definitely want to take a palatainer or something on you. They keep you out of the water and out of the snow. Yep. Makes it much, much better on your feet. So make sure that you follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. We also love those five-star reviews on iTunes. Go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. You can also do that at TalkShoe. At talkshoe.com, we're show 73759, and you can also comment there. And we're going to be added to a new radio network, or at least it's new to us, that uh, primarily operates in Canada. And we'll, we should have some more about that next week so we can let everybody know where you can listen to us and other programs on that network. You're, you've also been listened to by a couple of stations there in Germany I came across the other day. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. I'm there, and all of a sudden, I'm reading this, and it's like in German, and all of a sudden, I said, oh, wait a minute, they're talking about you. <laughs> 
and I should have saved the link now that I say that. I was if I can relocate it. That was, it was really neat, though, I'll be talking about you. Oh, that's scary. <laughs> you never hey, know. They didn't have any pictures. Yeah. Like, it, it might not be me. It could be right. somebody else. But, uh, yeah, we got some, some good things coming up. I'm uh, going to try and get to – I've been saying this for like four weeks now. I'm going to try and get the show notes done, but now we got picked up by this new network. I'm going to have to get those done. Maybe we, we can make sure everybody's going to be at the Outworld Underwater and make a point to be there in force. Yep. So you can greet your public or something. Yeah. Well, we can do something like that. Meet and greet. Do some stuff. Yeah. So once again, thank everybody who's in the chat room. Good turnout. Must be because it's getting dark. Everybody's coming in and, and heading to the chat room. Okay. Are we ready for that time of the show? I am buckled down. You're buckled down. I got it all the way down the bottom of the show notes in the really bad, naughty area. So, And this was donated by somebody in the chat room. See if you can figure out who it is. Dave. <laughs> so here we go. The drunk gets up from the bar and heads for the bathroom. A few minutes later, a loud, blood-curdling scream is heard coming from the bathroom. Then a few minutes after that, another loud, curdling scream echoes through the bar. The bartender goes to the bathroom to investigate what this drunk is screaming about. The bartender yells, What's all that screaming about in there? You're scaring away my customers. The drunk responds, I'm just sitting here in the toilet, and every time I go to flush, something comes up and squeezes the hell out of my balls. The bartender opens the door and looks in. You idiot, you're sitting on the mop bucket. <laughs> okay, that's, that's plausible. That's plausible. <laughs> I would have to hurt. Okay, okay, one time, but then you went back and did it a second time. But if you're drunk. <laughs> if you're drunk. <laughs> Was this lunchtime in Manhattan? That could be your title this week, Darren. Lunchtime in Manhattan. Lunchtime in Manhattan. Too many martinis. <laughs> Good night, Gracie. So until next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And watch out for those mop buckets. You're only a heavy if you sit on them, right? not just the sitting on them, it's the pump and the handle. Well, if you still got your pants on, I don't think you're going to have too much hanging low, <laughs> low hanging fruit. will get you every time. <laughs> Why would you be sitting with your pants on? If you're drunk. Call recording has been completed. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah.